And so if you have your Bibles, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. And because we're talking both about both elders and deacons this morning, uh, I want to start with verse 1. This is Paul writing Timothy. He says this, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil, into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace and to a snare of the devil. Verse 8, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we're looking at your church. Lord, I thank you for the way that you've established the church. The fact that the apostles and the prophets have laid the foundation for the New, for the New Testament church uh, through your word, with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. Lord, it's our desire to um, be the kind of church that, that, Lord, you describe in Scripture. And that the men who lead this church are truly biblically qualified to serve. So that we can trust them to rule over your church well. Jesus, I'm just the under-shepherd. You are the good shepherd. You are the chief shepherd. You are the head of this church. And may I and the rest of the members of this church look to you and you alone for how we are to conduct ourselves. Unify us, Lord. If there are unanswered questions, Lord, may those questions drive us to your word that we might find clarification 
and have biblical understanding of what your church is all about. Be glorified in this service and through your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last Sunday I didn't uh, get to finish um, the message and what the role of the elders uh, are to be. And so I want to start with that first before we get into the office of deacon. There's four things that Scripture tells us um, that the elders are responsible for. All right? Uh, Number one, they are to teach sound doctrine. Now, again, the elder is not just the the pastor of the church, but there's a plurality of elders, and those who are to serve as elders need to understand the Word of God and are teachers of the Word of God. And they are able to um, teach doctrine well, and they are able, they need to be able to rebuke uh, those who are teaching false doctrine. Now, uh, I had an email this week. Um, yeah, I had some inter- interesting conversations following last Sunday's message. But I did get an email, and uh, in a portion of the email, the, the person asked, uh, how will the, the elders determine what is sound doctrine? Now, I'm not going to get into um, the different theological camps, but he talked about uh, uh, the fact that there are two camps when we look at Scripture and the interpretation of Scripture. There's covenant theology and there's dispensational theology. And uh, in, in our Southern Baptist denomination, we have seminaries that lean in one of those two camps. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a dispensationalist. I understand where he's coming from. And so uh, he's, he was asking, what if there's people who, taught, who are teaching covenant theology? When you th- think about covenant theology, it's really an interpretation of Scripture from more of an uh, uh, allegorical, uh, spiritual dimension as they, as they read the Bible. Um, Dispensationalists, they interpret Scripture from more of a, a literal persuasion, interpretation. And, uh, and in our church, folks, we have, we have people who are in both theological camps. And when we think of uh, covenant theology or dispensational theology, I, I'm really getting into some deep weeds here. Um, uh, that's one of those... Uh, lower level uh, important doctrinal issues. You know, it's not one of the essentials of our faith. What we believe about uh, end times, what we believe about eschatology, there's different camps. Those ways that uh, we interpret how how God is going to uh, bring about a conclusion uh, uh, here on, on earth as we enter into eternity, uh, those aren't issues that ought to divide us. In our denomination, I mean, our denomination has big enough room for both camps. And there should be big enough room for both camps here in this church. But when it comes to what is appropriate for our church, I'm going I'm to make that an elder decision. You might be asking, where am I? Am I 
covenant theology or dispensational theology. I'm not a purist of either camp. I believe the two can can blend together well. But again, that's an elders conversation that is going to be uh, down the road. But as elders, we're to focus on the essentials of our faith. And we went over the essentials in the first two weeks of this or three weeks of this study. And in the essentials, those are the areas that we must have unity in. Who Jesus is, who, who, who God is, the Trinity, uh, the deity of Christ, the authority of Scripture, um, uh, uh, eternity, uh, the fact that there's a heaven and hell, and a couple more. These are the things that uh, are the essentials of our faith that we must have unity. The other things are non-essential. And the, in the non-essentials, we have liberty to, to believe as God has convicted in our hearts. But in all things, we are to show love, charity to one another. That's what we teach in, member, in our membership class. But the elders, their responsibility is to teach sound doctrine. The second thing that we see in Scripture that is the role of the elders is there to direct the affairs of the church. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. I've read it before. I want to read it again. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4 says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Elders are to direct the affairs of the church and not in a domineering, not, not in a dictatorship role. No, we looked at that last week. They are to be servants of the church. They are to live their lives in such a way that they are to be examples. And those who follow after them want to um, pattern their their lives after the elders of the church. Um, But they direct the affairs, the spiritual affairs, the the ministries of the church. um, and, And they are to be shepherds. They, they oversee the vision of the church. I casted a vision last September. And uh, as an elder body, they are to look at the vision of the church and they're to, to make sure that the, the priorities of our budget and the ministries of our church align with what the, the vision, the direction of this church is to be. That's their role, to direct the affairs of the church. The third responsibility of elders is to exercise spiritual oversight over those entrusted to their care. Again, this is the, this is the shepherding aspect. I want to take you to Acts chapter 20. I want you to look at Paul's instructions to the elders at Ephesus. This was the last time Paul was going to meet with these elders. 
and uh, he was giving them instructions uh, that they were to uh, that they were to follow as he was about to tell them goodbye. Verse twenty-eight, chapter twenty. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul was an elder of the church of Ephesus for three years, he didn't even, he didn't even take a paycheck. He was a tent maker. He cared for his own needs. But but now that he's leaving, he's entrusting these elders with the care of the church. And, and they are to spiritually oversee the flock, making sure that what's taking place, the teachings of the church are uh, doctrinally sound, that the, they guard against the wolves that want to come in and, and devour and divide the church. Again, this is the responsibility of the elders to exercise spiritual oversight. And it can't just happen with one man. When we look at elders in the church, there's a plurality, there's a team of men that lead the church together. Okay, this is the biblical model. And then fourth, the role of the elder is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Now this one really steps on my toes. You know, we've entrusted the, the equipping of elders, pastors in our convention um, with Bible colleges, seminaries. We've expected them to do all the training. That's, those, are, those are good places to be trained and equipped, but the role of equipping the elders is the, is the local church. And we need to be conscientious of men in our church who may have a secular job outside this church. They're providing for their family. But God has placed a call on their heart to serve the church. And God has gifted them to teach. They have the ability to teach and to lead. And as a church, we have the responsibility, I have the the responsibility, the elders have the responsibility to empower others to come along and serve as God has called them. But the elders are to equip the saints 
for the work of ministry. That's the role. Now, another question is, is there a leader among the elders? And that's a great question. Here I am the the, the pastor, the senior pastor of the church. We have Pastor Jeff who, who serves and uh, Pastor Scott. But uh, when we form an elder board, is there going to be a, a senior leader? And I say no. Now, there will be a first among elders because naturally I have that, that voice to speak before the church. But when it comes to authority and any one person's vote being more important than another's, all votes are equal. Doesn't matter the number of elders who serve uh, on the the elder team. Every voice will be important. Every member will have a vote. And to place my vote as more important than others is dividing the office of elder. And there's no division in the office of elder. So now organizationally, we do have an organization chart in our church and and we do have elders who will be paid. I'm the senior pastor, Pastor Jeff and Pastor Scott. They're paid as they serve in, in the church and at the school. And so organizationally, there will be um, uh, roles that, uh, that, that elders fulfill. But when it comes to uh, voting on important matters uh, for the life of the church, uh, every elder's voice will, just, will be as equal as everyone else's. And then someone will ask, well, how are decisions made among elders, though? Because, hey, we're human beings. We're going to have certain convictions about certain things. Um, is, is the majority vote going to rule uh, the elder board on decisions made? And I say no. In matters that we bring before the church for final approval, it's going to be important that we have unanimity among us. And so it's really important that elders who feel strongly about a certain issue, um, that they hold, they maintain that conviction. And there may be a period of time where, you know, we're deciding on a matter and, and we're six to one, six in favor, one against. Well, the spiritual thing to do is to set it aside and continue to pray over the matter. Now, there may be a time down the road after prayer and much discussion that the one elder may be having to humble himself and trust the other elders who feel differently about a matter, but that's only going to be over a period of time. As we bring people or issues before the church for the church to ultimately have the, the, the final say of a matter, you're going to know that the elders are, are unanimous among us um, in a particular subject. That is very important and moving forward, okay? So that's how decisions will be made. Now, 
Who has ultimate authority in the church? It's the congregation. And we looked at that last week. Matthew chapter 18, Galatians chapter uh, 1, verse 6. Um, when it comes to matters of discipline uh, with a member of the church, uh, the, the church has the ultimate say in what is appropriate for that uh, sinning member of our church. If there's, if there's an elder who's teaching um, a false doctrine in a church, well, the church has a responsibility of moving, removing that elder from the, the fellowship. And so the church has ultimate authority, but those are the only two subjects that the Bible speaks about. Now, uh, are those the only things that this church will decide on? No, I think there's, there's freedom, there's latitude there. And so when it comes to uh, matters concerning the, the annual budget of this church, uh, you will be having a, a final say in what that budget will be who the future elders, pastors, same office of this church will be. You will have final say in that matter. The office of deacons who are going to serve as deacons, you will have final authority in who serves. Uh, Selling or purchase of property. Uh, These are important congregational matters. And so, again, authority rests with, uh, with the church. But in day-in, day-out operations of uh, ministries that take place, and how they will be staffed and how they will function, policy and procedures, these are matters concerning the rulers, the, the, the elders who rule. You might ask, well, how can we trust them? That's why it's so important that you look at the qualifications of the leader, of the man that's being considered. If the man does not meet the spiritual qualifications, he is not to serve. But if he meets the qualifications, church, we ought to be able to trust those whom God has called out to serve, to lead among us. All right? So let's look at um, the distinction between the elders and the deacons. I read 1 Timothy chapter 3, and for the most part, um, those lists are pretty similar. But there are some uh, distinctions that I want to point out to us this morning, and it's, uh, it's in your handout. It's already filled in for you, so you don't have to worry about that. But let me just l- highlight these. Uh, scripture. For an elder, he has to be able to teach. He is teaching. Uh, he, he's able to teach and discern sound doctrine. For the deacon, he doesn't have to be a teacher. But he must hold to the faith with a clear conscience. He, he must be able to explain the, do, the, the, the gospel. And his life, his behavior needs to be consistent with the gospel character for an elder uh, Paul mentions that their personality uh, their character must be gentle and not quarrelsome that's not listed with a deacon why is it listed for an elder 
Well, if you're going to serve in a law office of leadership, uh, not everybody's going to de- agree with the decisions that you make. And uh, you may find yourself in some tense conversations. After I preached that message last Sunday morning at the first service, I had a tense conversation. I had to be gentle in that conversation. I couldn't be quarrelsome. You know, I wanted to take a can of gasoline and <laughs> and just, you know, share what what was in my heart, but I had, God gave me two ears and one mouth for a reason. And I need to listen and I need to be gentle and I need to be humble and this is a characteristic of an elder. They have to be they have to be able they have to have the ability to calm a situation and not make it worse. Okay? And uh, and so this is the characteristic that Paul says of an elder, um, which is which is very important. Another distinction between elder and deacon is the home. Elders must be good managers of the home because they have the responsibility of caring for God's church. Caring for God's church is not the responsibility of the deacon. He serves God's church. He serves the people of God. He must have. He must be a good manager of his home as well, but his is not an office of ruler. It's an office of servant. And so for the, for the elder... Uh, he must be a good manager because he must care for God's church. Christian experience. For the elder, he can't be a new convert. Because um, for a new convert, if you were a new convert who ser- served, uh, he, he may be filled with pride. And uh, pride would not be a good thing. So there needs some be some maturity, some time, some Christian experience about his life. Before he serves, for the uh, deacon, before they serve, they must be tested. You know, they need to involve themselves in ministry, in the life of ministry. So I would just encourage uh, you men of our church. God may be calling you for, to the office of elder. Um, that's a noble task, the Bible, Paul says. And it's not for the faint of heart. But if God's leading you in that direction, the best thing that you could do is get involved in the life of ministry now. For others, you know, God hasn't placed that ability to teach on your life, but you you do have a heart to serve. Get involved in the life of ministry. Serve, begin to serve on committees. Uh, show up at volunteer work days. Let others see you in action. Uh, get involved in the different age group ministries and allow yourself to be tested. And as people watch you in ministry, um, they'll they'll be recommending you to either the office of elder or deacon. Uh, once we pass our constitution and bylaws, uh, we'll be bringing to you... Be, um, asking you for names of men in our church whom you believe are qualified for these two offices. And then they'll be vetted as to uh, whether these are people 
who truly can serve. And if there's a unanimity among the elders and deacons, once we have the op- these offices in place, then these names will be brought back to the con- congregation for you to affirm uh, these men. And they must be affirmed by at least 75% of the church membership. All right? And then the last thing we see uh, the distinction between the, the elder and the deacon is the spouse. Nothing's mentioned about the, the spouse in the office of elder, which is kind of interesting. But again, the, the elder position is a ruling position. He needs to have a good relationship with his wife if he's married. But, uh, but it is mentioned in the, in the deacon section. Paul talks about the character of uh, the deacon's wife. Why is that? Well, there's two schools of interpretation here. The first is that um, the man who's serving in the office of deacon, oftentimes his, oftentimes his wife is going to be serving with him. They will be doing ministry together. And so if that's the case, then verse 11 says she needs to be dignified, not a slanderer, uh, sober-minded, faithful in all things. She needs to be a woman of good character. That's the one school of interpretation. But then there's another interpretation regarding this passage. He may not be, Paul may not be talking about deacons' wives. Paul may be talking about deaconesses, women who can serve in the office of deacon. Now, let me just put this question to rest right now. Are deaconesses being considered in these bylaws? No. Uh, these bylaws just refer to the office of deacon uh, filled by men. But as we get elders, as, as elders begin to serve in the church, this is going to be a topic of conversation. And sh- should we open it up to deaconesses? How do we see deaconesses in Scripture? Well, look at verse 11 again. See the first two words of verse 11, their wives, at least that's what my Bible says, their wives. Well, in the original Greek manuscript, the word there is not, is not included. Okay? Um, our English version has the word there to help this to be read easier and the interpretation being deacon's wives. But the word for wives is the word um, gene. And gene can be interpreted wives or women. So if you took out the word there and replaced wives with the word women, that sentence could read, women likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. He could be referring to deaconesses. Now, when you see the word deacon, deacon is only included three, maybe four times in Scripture. Uh, In Romans chapter 16, verse 1, you see Paul mention um, the servant Phoebe. Uh, Servant 
can be interpreted um, deacon or servant. Deacon can be interpreted either deacon or servant. In some translations, English translations of Romans 16.1, it's interpreted deaconess. In most of the translations, it's translated servant. So you can't build a case for the office of deaconess in the New Testament church. But that's a contentious issue. And I don't want that to be divisive among us right now. People have asked. And, you know, we have some women who are serving in our church who could easily have that title, uh, deaconess, next to their name. But they're not looking for that title. I I think of Susie Franks. She oversees our homebound ministry, senior adults who can no longer come to our church because of physical reasons, and so we send people out to minister to them. She administrates that that ministry. She does a great job. If you notice in the pockets in front of you, uh, we have connection cards and offering envelopes. You know who does that? Jerry Hahn. That's a deaconess position. You know, what does a deacon do? Uh, I haven't got into this yet, but uh, you can fill in this blank. The deacon's role is to provide logistical and material support so that the elders can concentrate their efforts on the word of God and the shepherding of God's people. They provide the logistical and material support. Think of Lola Brinkmeyer. You know, each of these ladies, they would be really embarrassed if they knew I was mentioning their name. They're in our our video venue right now in the tradition service. They're probably really mad at me. (laughs) But uh, Lola Brinkmeyer, when we have a death of someone in our church family, Lola is the one that steps in immediately and starts calling people for for meals for the the, uh, reception following the uh, funeral service. I think Johnny Mashoff. But if someone has a doctor's appointment out of town, Johnny's been known to drive that person to Lancaster or Palmdale or UCLA for that doctor's appointment. That's a deaconess responsibility. But again, these women aren't looking for those titles and and I don't want to bring up something that's going to divide our church right now, but you can make a very strong case for deaconesses in our church. But And that has not been the Southern Baptist tradition. But that's going to be a matter of discussion in future elder meetings. But those are the distinctions. You know, I think of other, the deacons in our church who make my job easier. I think of Scotty Broyles. Scotty is, is in our traditions venue right now. Scotty handles about 95% of the benevolence calls in our church. We have a lot of benevolence calls every week. And Scotty handles most of them. If that was my responsibility, I would not have the time to commit to the study of God's word that I do now. That is a huge responsibility that Scotty fulfills. 
I think of our properties committee, Bill Porter overseeing our properties committee, the Romeo ministry. For those of you who don't know what Romeo means, retired old men enhancing operations, they do a great job. But uh, they're down here doing lots of volunteer projects to keep this, this building functional. That's a, that's a deacon's role. Now, you have a list in your, in your um, um, bulletin this morning. Two different categories, the office of elder and the office of deacon. And uh, just the, the differences and what their, their responsibility is. And I've, I've talked about a lot of these things already as far as elders, vision, uh, making sure that we're on target with our vision, membership, membership discipline, very difficult issue that uh, is an elder elder board's responsibility, worship service, making sure that what happens in this worship service is glorifying God to God and is conducted smoothly and spiritually. Altar counseling, we need altar counselors. We need, we need people to be hanging around after the services to pray with people that um, have spiritual needs, physical needs, that uh, they want the elders of the church and, uh, and others who are spiritually minded to pray, pray with them. But uh, discipleship, life groups, missions, all our age group ministries, <clears throat> they, over, they don't do these ministries, but they oversee these ministries, approving the people who will be serving in those ministries and making sure that those uh, ministries are being conducted appropriately. And then finances and our two major ministries of the church, Emmanuel Christian School and Child Development Center, uh, requires the oversight of elders. And then the deacons ministry. When you see baptism there, they don't do the baptisms, but they, they assist the baptismal candidates. Now, they can baptize if, uh, if they would like, but uh, they assist the baptism candidates. They get the Lord's Supper service prepared for us. They handle benevolence, transportation, homebound, all those things that are so important to, um, to help this church uh, conduct itself in a Christ-honoring, organized fashion. So those are the differences between uh, the two offices. Now, what's the relationship between the office of elder and the office of deacon? How do they function together? They're really to complement one another. And understand that the office of deacon is lesser than the office of elder. That doesn't mean that it's less important, and that doesn't mean that the deacons are the slaves to the elders. No, the deacons serve the church. They don't serve the elders, they serve the church, but they're, they complement uh, one another. Um, when you see the, the, the office of deacon or or the name deacon, it's only mentioned three or four times in Scripture. Elder, it's mentioned 20 times in the New Testament. When Paul established a church, when he planted a church, he started with elders. And as the church began to grow and had more needs, they would add deacons. But this doesn't mean that deacons are inferior 
to elders. Every person is important, even including the person who's neither an elder or a deacon. The Bible says when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit gives us a gift that is to be used for the benefit of the body. We are all members of one another with Jesus being the head. And we are to serve, we are to help, we are to encourage one another. And so don't think that because you're a deacon and not an elder that you're inferior. Listen, God does all the calling. First, First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 says this. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. It's God who decides who will serve in what place. And the important thing is that whatever God has called us to do, that we do well, that we do for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. So I just want to encourage you. If God is laying on your heart to serve any in any kind of capacity in one of these two offices, men, that you listen to the Spirit of God and you take that call seriously because God wants to use you in the life of his body to build up his church. Serve. Get involved. What are you passionate about? Whatever you're passionate about, that's where you start. Allow people to test you. Continue to grow in your faith. If God is calling you, just know that your life will be examined. And being examined is not for the faint of hearts. As we ask the congregation for names whom you think are qualified to be elders or deacons, they'll be vetted by one of those two groups. And from those two groups, those who pass um, the test will then be called, um, they'll be called in for an interview. And you'll be asked a series of questions. And uh, after you go through that interview process, the elders, the deacons will have more conversation. And from those conversations, whoever they believe are qualified to serve, and for the elders, it will, and for the deacons, there will be unanimity among them, then they will be brought before the church for final approval. If you don't pass the vetting, you will have a one-on-one conversation as to why you don't, they don't feel you're ready for this yet. Areas where you need to continue to grow. Again, this is not for the faint of heart. But those who are truly spiritually qualified to serve will listen to this criticism, this constructive criticism 
and grow in areas that they need to grow in. I called Walter Price. He's a pastor at uh, Fellowship in the Past in Beaumont. He's been pastor there since, well, they've had an elder board since 1986. He was telling me of one situation where the elders were uh, considering a man in the congregation to serve as elders, but they they just couldn't get unanimity among themselves for this man to serve. There was some reservation, but they couldn't put their finger on it. And that that one-on-one conversation occurred, and he got really angry. He went home, and he wrote a letter of criticism, um, anger. He threatened the elder board, he, brought, he came back in with this letter and he read it to the elders personally. And that individual left, left the room and the elders all breathed a sigh of relief because they had seen something in this man that they had never seen before. That, that qualification of of humility. What, 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 was, what is it in the list? Gentle and not quarrelsome. This was a side that they hadn't, that had never come out before. And God protected them from calling someone that truly wasn't spiritually qualified. So just understand that examination is not for the faint of heart. But if you're truly qualified to serve, begin now. Let others see you. Be tested. Grow in Christ-like maturity. We want to enable you. We want to empower you to lead God's church. You don't have to go to seminary or a Bible college. You could be doing something in the secular world that God's called you to alongside of serving in the local church. I'm tired. God does not intend for me to be the sole spiritual leader of this church. I need accountability. I need a godly team whom you see as spiritually qualified. May God unite us in this matter. Let me close with these words. Ephesians chapter 2. 19 through 22. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Folks, I want us to be a holy temple unto the Lord. I want us to be united, 
built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone and being biblically led by qualified elders who will help us be corporately the holy temple of the Lord in the community of Ridgecrest. That's my prayer. And I pray it's your prayer. And I pray that you are praying for our church, that we would be united together in this matter as we move forward. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word, for the instructions of this book. And I, Lord, I pray for men in our church, the God that you've placed on their their heart, the desire to be an elder. Lord, they desire a noble task that is not easy. It's not easy to be examined. To look at one's life inside and out and and receive constructive criticism in, in what needs to grow. But Lord, I believe that you want to empower some men in our church to lead us spiritually, to be godly overseers of this congregation. Not in a spirit of arrogancy, puffed up with pride. This is a humbling task. A very humbling task, but a very necessary task. And God, I pray that you will use this in the life of our church, in the life of our men, in the homes, in the homes of, of those who are comprised of Emmanuel Baptist Church. That God, that we would be inspired to, to grow to Christ-like maturity. Unify us, Lord. And I thank you that as a church, we're not full of perfect people. Oh, there are so many imperfections and that starts in my life. And I thank you, Jesus, for your grace and that you take us where we're at, and you grow us from there. Lord, it's our prayer that we come to you just as we are, pleading and needing your grace, your redemption, your restoration in our life. Be glorified in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, would you stand with me, please?